Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Revelations 1, 1 through 8, Lord, be with us this morning. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything that he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tony. Once you stay standing, we're going to go ahead and, and pray. Would you join me in prayer right now, Lord? As we open up this book some more and look at it, I'm just so excited for what you have for every single one of us here. And just want to start off by saying, Jesus, thank you so much that you loved us so much, that you willingly gave your life for us on that cross so that we could be set free from the power of sin and death, and we could experience that relationship, that life-changing relationship with you as our Lord and as our Savior. Jesus, we're just so thankful for that. And just pray that those that are here with us, Lord, maybe never haven't experienced that love and that, that relationship with you, Lord, would you open their hearts uh, to who you are? And Lord, wherever we're at in our journey in life and our spiritual journey, Lord, I just pray that you would meet us here today, Lord. Use my words, and Lord, help me not to get in the way of what you want to do here, what you want to speak to every single one of us. And uh, lastly, Lord, we pray that the Mariners would win today, and that you would help the evil Yankees and Red Sox and Blue Jays to all lose so that the Mariners can make the playoffs in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I heard Andrew say amen to that. Revelation. You ready for this? This is the revelation. Verse 1 of chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The name of this book comes from the second word in this book right here, revelation. Okay, so this, know this. It's not revelations. It's revelation, singular. So don't be confused by that. Some of us, for some reason, we... 
fell into this trap of saying revelations, revelation. No, it's one revelation, and it's singular. The word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. So we're going to teach you some Greek today. Is that okay? I don't really know Greek well, but I can study and learn some of this stuff. I don't even know how to pronounce this stuff correctly, but apocalypsis sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? So that's where we get the word apocalypse. And so that's why we're calling this series Apocalypse, a journey through Revelation, because Revelation, literally in the Greek, is apocalypse. Now, apocalypsis in the Greek, this is what it means. It means what is revealed, a disclosure. That's what this book is all about. It's a revealing. Something was hidden that is now going to be revealed that was closed. Now it's going to, there's going to be a disclosure, an opening up, an unveiling of this. Now, when we think of the word apocalypse, we don't think that, do we? We think end of the world, like major catastrophes, a final war, a battle, asteroid hits, you know, aliens come. That's what we think of when we think of apocalypse. That's why we love watching those types of movies, those apocalyptic movies, those apocalyptic books. Anybody into apocalyptic literature? You know, why is it that every apocalyptic movie has Nicolas Cage starring in? I don't know. Like, he's in all of them. For some reason, he's connected to that. Now, we've got post-apocalyptic literature that is what happens after the major catastrophic event. There's a remnant of people that survived, the aliens who were already living within the earth and came, and then they, a few people ended up killing them, and they live, and so now I've got the post-apocalyptic thing, right? Those are great stories, fun stories, but it's because of things like that that we've come to believe that apocalypse means the end of the world, and the truth is, it does to us today, but that's not what it originally meant. So today, if you Google definition of apocalypse, this is what you'll find, and it's actually the Oxford definition, which will be at the top of your Google search. It says this, the complete final destruction of the world, as described in the biblical book of Revelation. It's kind of interesting. Number two, an event involving destruction or damage on an awesome or catastrophic scale. And so that's where our mind goes when we think apocalypse, right? That's, we kind of think that same way because that's how we define it today. And interestingly enough, the Oxford Dictionary references as described in the biblical book of Revelation. But it's not completely accurate because here's what Revelation describes. Revelation actually describes the restoration of the world. The world that's broken that we live in now, and everyone knows this, this world is broken. Life is broken. It's hard. It's tough. There's heartache. There's pain. There's all this. And there's so many things that, that, are, that are, we just struggle with and don't make sense. So God's going to restore all that in you. And that's what actually Revelation is all about. But some people have this, this assumption that Revelation is all about God's angry and he's mad and he just destroys everything. But really, it's an unfolding of what God's eternal purposes are for our world. So, biblically, when we talk about apocalypse, it means an unveiling, a revealing. And so that's why this is called revelation. And revelation does talk about how the world and, and, and things as we know it today, it will come to an end. But it's not a complete, utter destruction of the world. It's actually uh, a new city, a new heavens, a new earth that God's going to establish here for all of eternity, so it is a restoration to where it should be. It's going to be the world that we all long for, that utopia that for some reason people just, you know, we, we find ourselves this longing for a perfect society that just functions perfectly. 
that is inside of all of us. And that longing is there because God placed it there because that's where he wants us to end up. And that's the eternity that he has for us. And so Revelation describes what's going to happen for, in that time. And I was thinking about the importance of the book of Revelation. Like, think about if you have your Bible, but it didn't have the book of Revelation. How weird would that be? The, the book of Revelation is so important because it really brings the Bible to a closure. It gives us a better, a, a fuller, a more clear picture of where God has taken everything. Like, we have glimpses of that throughout the Old Testament and some of the words that Jesus gave us when he was walking on earth. We've got glimpses and some things that, we, that they pointed to, but Revelation begins to unfold how that's going to look and how that's going to work. So it's, it's like we kind of need this book. Revelation is, is very, very important because it's going to give us the consummation of God's purposes. I think in order to understand Revelation, we've got to really understand Genesis. In order to understand Genesis, we've got to understand Revelation. It's, it's amazing how the, the, the first book and the last book go hand in hand. And, and just the whole Bible is this incredible, essentially love letter from God to us, showing us, I created you, I love you, I want relationship with you. There's a lot of crazy stories in there that just show how imperfect we all are, but how perfect God is and how much he loves us in the midst of it. And so as you read through the Bible, you know, you get to the third chapter and you find out that this perfect world that God created, it, it broke. And it wasn't God's fault. It was our fault. It's like three chapters in, all of a sudden, things are broken. And it's like, oh, okay, it's, you, know, we, you know, we messed this thing up. And so you read through the rest of the Old Testament and you see God pointing us to, I've got a plan, trust in me. Uh, follow me, do these things that all through the Old Testament. It's pointing to the coming Messiah, the coming Messiah, the God-man is coming. And then in the Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament, he arrives. The long-awaited Messiah arrives. His name is Jesus. And then the rest of the New Testament all is about how do we follow Jesus, how do we live for Jesus. But then we got Revelation, and Revelation is Jesus is coming back. And so he came once, and then he left, and he says, I'm coming back, guys. And then Revelation gives us a cool picture of what it's going to be like and how he's going to come back. Now, there's some crazy stories in, in Revelation. There's amazing imagery in this book. If you've read it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's uh, images of thrones and God's throne room. You got angels, and you got trumpets, and... There's like bottomless pits and double-edged swords coming out of mouths. You got frogs and locusts. Then you see horses, and then you see colored horses. And there's dragon, and there's beasts with seven horns and ten heads. Or you know, that's all this like, what on earth? This is like, like we love stories that are crazy like this, like. Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and all the Marvel stories. Like, those are awesome and crazy, but they got nothing on Revelation. I like, read through Revelation, like, whoa. You can see where some of these creatives get their ideas. It is read Revelation. There, there you go. That's where it came from. And so because of that, it can be difficult to understand. We struggle to understand this, but I think as we go through this journey, you're going to find it's not as difficult as you thought, but still it can be very confusing. And we get that which is why I think this is an important book for us to journey through. You might find yourself thinking the same thing that this guy thought when he first read it. He read it as a teenager, and reflecting on that, here's what he said. He said, 
The funny thing is, is I'm quite sure I didn't understand what on earth it was all about. But I can still remember the explosive power and beauty of it. The sense that the New Testament I held in my hands had a thunderstorm hidden inside it that nobody had warned me about. It's a great description of Revelation. Now, that young teenager grew up to be the leading New Testament scholar on the planet. His name is N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, uh, who I love to to listen to and, and learn from. But maybe you can identify with that. Revelation can feel very intimidating. It can feel very scary, very ominous and overwhelming, which is why a lot of people avoid it. Like, I'm already struggling with anxiety. Why should I go through Revelation? It's just going to add that. It's going to make things worse, right? <laughs> There's a lot of Christians that, unfortunately, don't really dive into Revelation. It becomes this forgotten book at the back of the Bible. And it's like, okay, there's some cool stories in there. It doesn't fully make sense. It doesn't really apply to me right now. So whatever happens, happens. And that can be a posture for a lot of us, and it becomes like this book that we never really dive into. But I think it's an important book. You're going to see why as we go through this, because it applies to us today. But you're not alone in your struggles with it if you've struggled with this book. Throughout history, scholars, theologians, Christians have struggled with this book. Did you know that Martin Luther didn't really like Revelation? Martin Luther, this is the guy that broke away from the Catholic Church, started the Great Reformation. This is what he said about revolution, or Revelation. He said, it is neither apostolic nor prophetic. I can in no way detect the Holy Spirit produced it. Again, they are supposed to be blessed who keep what is written in the book, and yet no one knows what that is, to say nothing of keeping it. Christ is neither taught nor known in it. Okay, It's an interesting perspective that Martin Luther himself had. George Bernard Shaw, heard of him, famous playwright? He said of Revelation, it is the curious records of the visions of a drug addict. And some people might say, yeah, that's pretty accurate. There's probably a lot of people that have read this and thought someone's smoking something as they wrote this. I just know it. What is this guy on? As he was like, this is like out of the Led Zeppelin song. That's what this reminds me of. This guy is on something and it is messing with him. So a lot of people would probably agree with that right there, right? Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, German philosopher, he said this. He said, Revelation is the most rabid outburst of vindictiveness in all recorded history. Even John Calvin, smart theologian, John Calvin, who wrote commentaries on everything, didn't write one on Revelation. He avoided it, fearing that its symbolism hid Jesus and it confused the average Christian, so he didn't do it. So what about you? What comes to your mind when you hear or think of the book of Revelation. There's some dominant things that come to most of us, if we're familiar, at least somewhat familiar with it, and it usually centers around like the end, the end of the world, the rapture, the mark of the beast, 666, antichrist, four horsemen, vengeance, second coming of Jesus, heaven, things like that, right? Those, those, that's where our, our mind can go. Uh, and interesting, interesting enough, we won't find the words rapture or antichrist in the book of Revelation. But here's words that I think should come to mind, and we're going to see these themes continually come up while we go through Revelation. Words like witness and throne and lamb. Those are important words and themes that we're going to need to understand and get a hold of as we go through Revelation. So I get it. It can feel scary. It can cause people to feel more anxious, but I, I'm just kind of taking this posture of we are living in a world today, guys, where people are confused. 
They're feeling hopeless. They're struggling with anxiety. Let's be real. We've got an anxiety epidemic in our country right now. And the message of Revelation is one that brings hope to the hopeless. It will strengthen the weak. It's going to encourage you. I believe that this is going to help you no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. Revelation is going to be awesome. And you're going to love it. So let's talk about Revelation. You ready? Revelation is a book. Uh, it's a hybrid book. That's how I describe it. It's a hybrid book written in three different genres. This is why Revelation stands apart from most books of the Bible. It's just totally different. It's an apocalypse, it's a prophecy, and it's a letter, all in one. Three different genres in one book. Apocalypse, prophecy, and letter. You could describe it as an uh, apocalyptic prophecy in the form of a letter, if you want to put it in a sentence. That's what it is. So this book is, it's called Revelation, which again means apocalypse, so it's an apocalypse. It was written to reveal something. And so it's important that we understand what was God wanting to give to John to reveal to us through this book. If this is a revelation, what is it a revelation of? What is it that's disclosed through this book? What is it that's uncovered that was hidden? And that's the point of this book. And so what we see is that what's revealed is who's really in charge. That's what we find out in Revelation. Jesus, in a sense, opens up the curtains of the spiritual realm to John. There's a spiritual realm all around us right now, guys. That's where you know, the battle, the forces of good and evil wage war against people. Science has proven multi-dimensions right now, and they approve, so that's the spiritual realm. It makes sense. And there's a battle for you and I, and you and I have an enemy. And it's not... The person that works across from you at work or is in the same department for you. Okay. Our enemy is not anybody, as far as a person, our enemy is the devil. And he hates you. Why does he hate you? Because you are the object of God's affection. God loves you so much. And he wants to do whatever he can to keep you and I from experiencing and living in the love of God. And so revelation is a revealing in a sense of what's going on in the spiritual realm and what's going to happen in the spiritual realm as it gets really crazy later on in the book. You've seen all this stuff, and it's like all these spiritual things that are taking place. It's a revealing of who's really in charge and what's really going on. So what we see is what's revealed through revelation is that life, the universe, eternity is all about Jesus. This is what it's all about. It all centers around him. It's all about him. It points us to Jesus. He's the one who is revealed through revelation. About 10 years ago or so, I remember reading through this book and enjoyed it again. But I just came to the end thinking like, man, there's so much to revelation. This is all over the place. Like, how would I even summarize revelation? I don't know why I thought this, but I was thinking like, how could I summarize revelation? And so... I have a two-word summarization of Revelation for you here, and this is, this is going to help some of you because this is like theology for dummies right here for all of us, okay? This is how I'd summarize Revelation in two words. Jesus wins. What's Revelation about? Jesus, and he wins. Now, after doing a deep dive into this book, I changed my verbiage a little bit 
to be more, more accurate, I think, even more biblical, I've been immersed in Revelation for over a year, preparing for this Sunday, excited for this series. And I'm telling you what I have learned and what I've seen, guys, has deeply impacted my heart. Deeply. I'm going to probably cry several times this morning because of what God has been doing in me as I've been going through Revelation. And so I would change my verbiage to still two words, but here's what I would say. A summary of Revelation is Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. He always has, he does right now, and he always will. Jesus reigns. If you don't catch anything else about Revelation, if everything else is confusing to you, just know that. There you go. That's, that's the summary of, of Revelation in a nutshell. So I think there's three overarching themes that are important for us to discuss as we intro this series. And so today is part one of the intro. Come back next Sunday for part two of the intro as we hopefully finish chapter one next week as, you know, because chapter one just sets up the rest of the book. You want to know what Revelation is all about? We'll just study chapter one and it tells us very clearly. What is Revelation all about? Chapter one, verse one. Let's look at the first few words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is right there, okay? It's all about Jesus. So some scholars will say, this is a revelation from Jesus. Other scholars will say, no, this is a revelation about Jesus. Depending on how do you want to look at those words and the meaning of the original Greek and all that kind of stuff. But my theology lands on its both. It's from Jesus, about Jesus, very, very clearly. And then let's, let's keep reading on here. So this is to John, the servant John, verse 2, who testifies to everything he saw that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 tells us the revelation is all about. Thank you. You're very smart. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. The time is near. Now what's interesting about verse 3 is it's the first of seven beatitudes found in Revelation. This is a beatitude. Revelation starts off with a beatitude. Now, Jesus had this famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he started that with the beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so there's this list of beatitudes of how, as we have this heart posture, we will receive blessings from God. Revelation starts off with a blessing, with a beatitude. It is the only book that starts off saying, if you read these words and listen to these words and take these words to heart, you will be blessed. And what's cool is this is the first of seven beatitudes. Seven is a dominant theme throughout Revelation. You'll see the number seven and the theme of seven a lot. It's God's perfect number, a number of completeness and perfection. Uh, the number three and the theme of three is found all throughout Revelation as well. There's a whole bunch of number themes and all that. It's just crazy. It's just really deep dive into Revelation. We won't go real super deep. But if you do, you'll find all of those things. And so this book starts off with a blessing to those of us who listen to it, who uh, hear it, who read it, and who take it to heart. And what does that mean? What's it mean to take it to heart? It means basically just live it out. We want to live out this book, what we're going to learn from it, what God's going to speak to us from this book. We want to live it out 
in such a way that we obey, we conform our actions to, do and not just hear. That's the goal. That's what it means to take it to heart. The New Living Translation says it this way. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. Everybody say, obey what it says. Yeah, very clearly right there. It's all about obedience for the time is near. So we don't want to just read it. We don't want to just listen to it. We want to obey it. And if you're familiar with the book of James, you know that there's a very similar verse in James as well. Now, James is an interesting fella. I love James because he's the guy that actually grew up with Jesus. This was Jesus' literal, physical, actual brother. Grew up in the same house. Could you imagine if Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man, was your big brother? What would that be like? Like, here's this brother that's just perfect, doesn't ever make mistakes, is in every way, he's sinless, and it's like, you gotta follow that? That's your big brother. That was James. So obviously, James did not believe his brother was the Messiah, until he saw Jesus rise from the dead. And then he's like, oh, you're back? Like, you died. And he saw Jesus rise from the dead. He's like, now I believe. Which is why we think Jesus is worth believing in today. Like, we say this around Rivers Church a lot. Like, any guy that can predict his death and resurrection, and then he pulls it off, that's the guy you can believe in. That's the guy you can trust. Jesus did that. And so James, who didn't believe in his brother, now believe his brother is the Messiah. He is the God-man. Okay, so James becomes one of the leaders of the first century church because of this. He writes a great letter, chapter 1, verse 22. James says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Everybody say, do what it says. There it is. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So what we got to understand as we dive into Revelation is Revelation was not written to us. It was written to a very specific group of people, and we're going to talk about them and where they're at. But it was written for us. So we, won't, we don't want to just read this and gain some intellectual knowledge and fill out our timeline charts so I can be ready and I can know, like, everybody who believes in mid-trib and post-trib, they're just, they're, they got it wrong. It's all about this, you know, and we don't want to get caught up into all of that. What I want us to get caught up in is just following Jesus, and walking with him, and walking in obedience to Jesus. I don't give a rip about growing our intellectual prowess. Well, maybe that's too extreme. I do. I actually want us to get smarter and all that, keep growing all that. Okay, so let me just reframe that. But if that's all we do, we're missing the point, guys. We want to live this thing out. And that's what the world needs to see is Christians who are just living this thing out that have the power of God in them and has shown them that Jesus is real and he has the power to change their life and give them hope and strength and encourage them and then he can meet them right where they're at no matter what they're going through. That's what the world needs to see. We're not interested in just getting smarter. Okay, so we want to live this thing out. So here's my challenge to all of us who are believers. I got a challenge for you as we start Revelation. And this requires a heart posture from us. You call yourself a follower of Christ. I want us to start Revelation with this posture of, Jesus, I'm willing to obey you in every area of my life. Every area. Like, he went all in for us. He gave it all. We just want to say, I'm going to give it all as well to you, Jesus. I'm going to obey you in every 
area of my life. And as we go into the rest of chapter one and chapters two and three and look at the seven churches, I know there's some very specific things God's gonna speak to us. And so that's why I wanna start off this series by saying, let's have this heart posture of, Jesus, I'm just willing to obey you no matter what. I wanna walk in obedience because that is so, so important, friends. So that's my challenge to us as believers, all right? Okay, so if you're here and you're exploring this and thinking about all this Jesus stuff, just, just keep listening, keep, you know, open up your heart and see what Jesus might have for you. But uh, verse four, let's keep going on here. I don't wanna belabor that too long because we still got some ground to cover here. Verse four, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, which is modern day Turkey, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Stop right there. What we see here now is a reference, or at least the beginnings of a reference to the Trinity, which is, you know, we got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is three distinct persons, yet one God. There is only one God, yet he uh, reveals himself and functions as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How does that work? How does that make sense? I don't know. But we see it all over scripture, and there's another place that we see it, and we see there's one God who's uh, in control and, and who loves us, but we see God the Father, God the Son at work, and God the Holy Spirit at work. And so what's interesting is the order usually goes like that, Father, Son, Spirit, but in Revelation, it's Father, Spirit, Son. And so we see God the Father who was and is and is to come. And then we see the seven spirits before the throne right there, or, or maybe your Bible says sevenfold spirit. This is a direct reference to Old Testament prophecy. And so New Testament prophecy is being connected to Old Testament prophecy that was talking about the seven spirits that were to, that, that re in referencing the Holy Spirit. So it's a connection there. I believe it's also a reference to the seven churches that this letter is going to. And some scholars would even say that this sevenfold spirit of God is the Holy Spirit, but he's described as sevenfold because the Holy Spirit is intensifying his work in these last days. There's a greater intensity now of the Spirit as he begins to move in these last days. So that's God the Father, God the Spirit, and now we get to God the Son, Jesus. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. Remember what we're talking about, that revelation is all about what? Jesus, all about him. And so we're only five verses in. And you've seen Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is what it's all about. It's important we catch this. And now John busts into three powerful descriptions of who Jesus is. He is the faithful witness. That's who Jesus is. Now, I studied that word witness. I've actually never done that before. And what I found was the Greek word for witness is martyrus or martyrus which you can see where we would get the word martyr from right there, out of that Greek word. But it literally means a person who testifies for Jesus and is willing to die for it. That's what the word witness means. And so when Jesus is called the faithful witness, we see that he was faithful to himself he was faithful to his message, to his mission, and he completed it even unto death. Jesus was the first martyr for the faith. 
is he willingly laid down his life for us. And so when you see the word witness in that sense, it kind of changes the whole meaning of that word. So Jesus, right before he ascended to heaven, he's standing before his 11 disciples. He's got 11 left. And he's saying, hey guys, I'm getting ready to go, but I'm gonna send my spirit. The Holy Spirit's gonna come and and fill you with power. So Acts 1.8 is where this is recorded. And so he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says, and you will be my, what's the word? Witnesses, right there. There's that word. Witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we know is that's the same word, by the way, martyr. I don't know how to speak that Greek word. I should have studied it deeper and further. But uh, like I said, it's all Greek to me, right? I need to get, I need to get deeper. Yeah, Bible jokes. Sorry. So when Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses, he's not just saying you're going to talk to people about me. He's saying, you're going to talk to people about me, and you're willing to die for that message. That's what it means to be a witness. And so Jesus was our first and greatest example. He lived it out. He is the faithful witness, and I pray that you and I would be a faithful witness, even if it came to it, unto death. You're willing to die for the message of Jesus? Well, first, we've got to be willing to live for the message of Jesus, too. A faithful witness witness. That's who Jesus is. Okay, so then he's also described as the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn was someone who was an heir to everything that the father had, but it says firstborn of the dead, which gives us this illusion that, or this, and I shouldn't say illusion, but it, it tells us that there's going to be more, right? He's the first one that did it, but there's going to be more. That's kind of what it speaks to, and so we get this understanding that, yes, Jesus conquered death, showing us that he has the power to do so, and in the end, all those who have died in Christ will be raised up as well. He was the first, but there will be more. And so all of us, all those who have gone before us who have died in Christ, Jesus is coming back for his church, for his believers, and they will meet him up. More will be raised from the dead. Okay, then the third thing that John says there is that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of earth. And this is a very important message for the church in that day who was suffering intense persecution from the Roman Empire. When they heard those words, don't forget Jesus is, he's the faithful witness, he's the firstborn from the dead, but he's also the ruler of the kings of earth. Okay, they're thinking firstborn from the dead. A lot of them have had friends who are believers who have, been, who have died for their faith. Oh, that's right, they're gonna be raised up with Jesus. Yep, we believe that, we, we trust in that. And Jesus today is the ruler of the kings of earth. That was a word of encouragement to them. They needed to hear those words as they suffered deeply and intensely from Roman rule. So what we see then is revelation is all about Jesus. Pretty simple, pretty clear. John says it several times, and then right here he, he describes Jesus in really a beautiful way. Three different ways. Jesus is the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead. He is the ruler of the kings of earth. So it's all about Jesus. He is the central theme of the book of Revelation. And it's as if John gets so excited about who Jesus is that he busts out into a song. Because that's what the next few verses, or next couple sentences are. We call them a doxology. So the rest of verse 5 and all of verse 6 is what is called a doxology, which is just an expression of praise to God. And so this is what John busts out into. It's like he can't contain himself. All of a sudden, he just, boom, here it goes. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us 
from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve as God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He busts into doxology. And I love that. I pray that as we dive into Revelation, as we study what it means and what it says, what we're gonna, what's going to be revealed to us is Jesus. And I'm praying and believing that you are going to experience an apocalypse, an unveiling. Jesus is going to reveal some specific things that you need to hear, that he wants to speak to you. And as we know more and more about Jesus, my prayer is that you will not feel better about yourself. Like, look, I'm becoming a smarter believer in Jesus. Look at how smart of a Christian I am. My hope is that you and I will just fall more and more in love with Jesus. I'm telling you, as I, like I said, if I've gone through Revelation, my awe of who Jesus is has grown deeper. My love for him is increased exponentially. Revelation, friends, is the most powerful, I would say the clearest picture of who Jesus is. The gospel showed us who he is, and we ultimately saw the suffering Messiah, but Jesus is coming back as the kingly Messiah. And you read through Revelation, and you see Jesus is awesome. He is powerful. He is amazing what he's going to do in the last days to make all things new. And he is hoping to, that everyone will trust in him and believe in him so they can be, spend eternity with him in, in heaven. The, Revelation is the most powerful picture that we have of Jesus. And I pray the deeper we go into Revelation, it just causes us to love him more. Remember, knowledge puffs up, we talked about, but love builds up. And so I pray that our love for Jesus will just grow and will increase and will cause us to do what John just did. I just want to just praise God. I just want to bust out into song because I think good theology leads to doxology, an expression of praise. As you take time to study this book, I'd encourage you, go deeper. You're reading any book of the Bible. You're going into it. I pray that your love for Jesus grows more than anything else. And as your love for him grows, that you just bust out into expressions of praise because God is awesome. I just can't believe how amazing you are. And I think that's going to happen for many of us. There's going to be an apocalypse for us, an unveiling of who Jesus is and how powerful and important he is. I received a text from one of our friends here this morning. His name's Jim Rowan. And he's uh, 91 years young. He texted me this morning. And he just had uh, a health scare this week. Had to go to the hospital and emergency surgery. And now he's home and he's strong and looking good and feeling good and ready to make pancakes for people if you want them. So this is what he messaged me this morning, and I really, it just really connects to where we're at here in the, in the text. He says, as patriarchal head of our family, and maybe Rivers Church, I'm claiming as one of my responsibilities that I'm accountable to our God in ways that I may fall short in, but not this one. I'm well aware that I'm truly blessed daily with health and freedom and lots of choices that I may choose from, and that having just gone through a thing in quotes, a thing for only the second time in 91 years where I could not make any choice about my life. My advice that I have for all, uh, for all about our bodies and mind is this. You must, and he says, no choice here, you must stay prayed up and be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit even when you don't want to. He says, you must stay read up in the scriptures be wise about what you ingest physically and mentally. 
Always be positive in your dealings with family, friends, and everyone you come in contact with. Take complete responsibility for your actions, your words, your choices. I've been made fun of as an old cute, old coot that hums a lot. <laughs> but my, my humming is really singing constant phrases to God. And since I can't remember the words, I just do well with the tune. What I'm trying to say is I have had choices and you have had and will have choices. Just be sure you do all you can to be on God's team and to set a goal that you will become the patriarch or the matriarch of your lineage. Thank you, Jesus, for getting me to that point. Then he says, oh yeah, two more things. Eat lots of biscuits and gravy and then something about cheering for the Arizona Cardinals, stay ahead of the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, it's like, gibberish from here on out, like on stuff, but it's like, oh well. But I thought I'd at least share it because I love that guy. And he loves you and this church and all of you, and there's some wisdom from a guy who's 91 years young, who's been around the block a few times, from a patriarch for us. What's interesting to me is he's like, this is only my second health scare in 91 years. Like, wow, okay, that's pretty good, health. And if you know Jim, you know he's pretty healthy. He's 91, and he did work on my pool this summer. That's impressive. And he talks about, you know, just praying, studying Scripture, and if you don't know the words, just hum it, sing it, and just having a song about God in your heart. I just love that. And I pray that as we grow in theology, it's good to have good theology, but good theology leads to doxology, that it just would cause us to want to praise and worship and love and serve God more. That's my hope and prayer for all of us. Revelation is first and foremost, above everything else, all about who? It's all about Jesus, all about him. And number two, I'm just going to land the plane here. We'll talk about number three next week. But number two, it's all about the church. That's a second overarching theme we'll see all throughout Revelation. Now, specifically, we know from reading the first few verses, it's to the seven churches in Asia, right? So this is specifically to those two churches. But again, it was written to them, but it was written for us. We can take these words to heart, and we can walk in obedience to them as well today. So what we see throughout Revelation is what God wants to do in his church through his church and the plans that he has for his church, that Jesus is the bridegroom who's coming back for his bride, which is the church. And so marriage today is basically a foreshadowing of what, what God ultimately has planned for his church, for his believers. There is, a, there is something better than marriage today. And some of you might say, well, that's pretty easy, actually, because <laughs> my experience hasn't been so good. Okay, I get that. But God's love for us is so perfect that he has a union for us that's going to last forever. And he, the, the bridegroom is coming back for his bride, the church. And at the very beginning of that, what's going to start is a, a big meal. We're going to sit down at a big, huge dinner table, and we're going to have food together, and that's going to be awesome. It's going to be way better than any Thanksgiving meal you've ever had, as good as that is. We're going to start eternity with, with a, a meal at a table. That's kind of cool. And so you see the church all throughout and the plans that Jesus has for the church, but we cannot forget who this letter was written to. This letter was written to a group of people that for 30 years, 30 years, 
have faced intense persecution like none of us have ever experienced. About the year AD 65, Nero became the emperor of the Roman Empire. And he launched a full-on attack against the church and Christianity. And what he would do is, it was just brutal, guys. Like, you read through history, and it's just, it's awful what he and the Roman Empire did to Christians specifically. He would pour oil on Christians, and he would burn them as, as torchlight for their, their world or for their events. Like, they would be human torches on fire. They would feed them to animals and throw them in prison. We're talking brutal persecution that they faced year after year after year. So how did the church respond? They stayed faithful. They kept sharing the gospel of Jesus, talking about Jesus and who he was. The church continued to grow a little bit during this time, but it's, it's still it's under a lot of oppression and persecution. They're serving the poor, serving the sick. Uh, they're praying and believing that the persecution is going to stop. But year after year after year, after decade after decade, 30 years later, they're still facing intense persecution. It is in this moment that John receives this apocalypse that God wants to give him to speak life into the church. And so it's important we understand this context. Because the church in this moment has gone through so much. It's said that at the beginning of Nero's reign, Peter and Paul, the, like the two leaders, the pillars of the church, were publicly executed in the same year. Can you imagine that year for the church? History tells us that Peter didn't feel worthy to die on a cross like his Lord and Savior Jesus, so he requested to be crucified upside down. But he was still publicly crucified and executed for his faith in Jesus. In the year A.D. 70, Jerusalem was destroyed and burnt to the ground. Year after year after year after year, they're being persecuted. This guy named Domitian becomes the emperor of the Roman Empire. And Domitian is so full of himself that not only does he continue the persecution, but he thinks he's a god. And so he mandates that everybody in the Roman Empire must worship him as lord. He is now Lord, worship me, and if you can, come to Rome to the specific place to worship me. And so when we see the words, Jesus is Lord, and he's the Lord of Lords, in the book of Revelation, they are literally breaking the law, and they could lose their life for this. Because Domitian is Lord. That is the law. Thirty years, three decades of intense persecution that the church has faced. And then we get the book of Revelation. You know, it said that all of the disciples, the 11 that were left, all of them except for John, ironically, who's writing this letter, all were martyred for their faith. They all were killed because of their belief in Jesus. John, it seems, may have died from old age, but he went through his share of persecution. We'll talk about that next week. In fact, that's why he's, he's on the island of Patmos, as we'll learn. He has been arrested and put on this island. It's kind of like, you know, we, we used to use Alcatraz as an island for prisoners. That's where he's at. And he receives this revelation. Revelation is first and foremost meant to speak life and encouragement and strength into the church that desperately needed some hope. And John starts off by saying, 
hey guys, I got a message from the Lord. He's awesome, he's powerful. And he says the persecution's gonna get worse. <laughs> but then, if you stay faithful, if you listen to these words, if you walk in obedience and take them to heart, you're gonna be blessed. Because wait until you see what God has coming after all of this. Oh, it's going to be glorious. And God begins to download all of this that is to come in the future. That's the promise that awaits all who believe in Jesus. He's like, it's going to be worth it. Friends, the church needed this in this day and age. And it's so important we understand the context of what's going on in this moment in history. Guys, I hate to think about, I shudder to think about what would happen to the church in America if we went through persecution like they were going through. Let's be honest, guys. The church has struggled over the last year and a half. And it's really been over our preferences and secondary issues that have brought division. And it's like the enemy's wreaking havoc within the church. We've never faced biblical persecution, ever. There are people in the world right now, we have brothers and sisters in the world that are facing true persecution. What if it gets worse? How are you gonna respond? What if things get worse? How do you want the church to respond? Because we are the church. How should we respond? Hey, friends, we have got to respond better with love, with strength. Let's receive these words with hope and encouragement as well. Amen? And so one of the things that I think God's gonna do as we go through Revelation is he is going to reach into our hearts and rip out this American egocentric mentality that we have when we think about the world and we think about what God's gonna do, like we even read scripture. Now let's be real. We're all egocentric because we're all selfish. Like when you watch a movie or read a book and there's a hero in that story, we tend to identify with the hero, right? Like that's me, right? That's, we, we, we're egocentric. And in America we can fall prey to that as well. Like it's all about us and it's all about what this, you know, we gotta save our country and all this kind of stuff. And we can fall into this trap of thinking as America goes, so goes the world. Now I believe God can use our country. And I pray that God uses God, good godly people and, and helps our country. I pray for all of that. But here's the truth, friends. As the church goes, so goes the world. That's the truth. Do you think our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and Iran are sweating and worried about the policies and mandates that our country is putting in place on us right now? Do you think they're watching this? They're so nervous. They're like, oh, it has to be the end of the world because of, look, I mean, masks and things like that. You know, they, they don't care because so many of them are just fighting for their life. And they know when they say yes to Jesus, it is potentially a death sentence. They are true witnesses for Jesus. So, I pray that God would give us a kingdom perspective. Kingdom people. That's the point. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but here, let me land the plane really quickly here because um, I added a few extra things there. It took a few extra moments, but um, I got to get over to the Spanish church. They already popped in the door and they're like, hey, we're waiting for you. So, I got to get over to the Spanish church here for a second. Here's my challenge to us, guys challenge for the believers make a decision to obey Jesus in every area of your life, all right? That's how we're starting this series off. Sound good? This is our heart posture. I want to obey you, Jesus. 
Remember, verse 3, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For the time is near. Let's walk in obedience. Let's be witnesses, true witnesses for Jesus. And then let me just read one last sentence for all of us. Regardless of where you're at in your faith journey, some of us, we've already found the hope and the love and the joy of Jesus. But these verses are for all of us right here. It's the beginning of the doxology, that little song that John burst into. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I pray that those words would sink deep into our hearts in these next few moments. Jesus loved you and I so much. He gave his life and he set us free through his death on the cross. You and I can walk in freedom and forgiveness because of Jesus. And let's take that to heart today. As we close and as we take some time just to pray and worship, would you stand to your feet? And let me just pray right now. Jesus, I thank you for everybody that's here. Just thank you for the, this important book of Revelation and how you're going to reveal yourself to us in new and in fresh ways. And I pray that you would just begin that today. Lord, I'm praying for an apocalypse to happen, a revealing to happen today in this moment, this week. I pray by the power of your spirit, let it be, Lord. Open our hearts to what you have for us. Lord, meet us right where we're at. And Lord, help us to walk in your grace and your forgiveness and your freedom every single day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.